This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word. And take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. When the global pandemic hit... Many musicians, including Israeli violinist Itamar Zorman, came up with creative ways to continue performing. He and his wife, pianist Lisa Stepanova, created a live-streamed video series called Hidden Gems. It was that video series that inspired Itamar's latest recording. It's called Violin Odyssey, and that's what we're hearing about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, Well, let's start off with a question I ask everybody, especially these days. How are you? (laughs) Um, I'm good. Thank you. It's nice to see things coming back, uh, cultural life concerts, festival. I'm right now, as we speak, in, in the summer festival with students coming in from all over. So um, encouraging. Wonderful. Well, speaking of students, you are a visiting guest artist at the Eastman School of Music. What does that entail? So that entails, um, basically, I, I fly to Rochester, where Eastman is, uh, once a semester for a, like a, a residency, an extended time where I I teach some private lessons, I give a master class, perhaps coach a few chamber music, music groups, give a recital, these kind of things. And I thought it was interesting, too, because if I remember correctly, most of your schooling was done in Israel, mm-hmm. and then you came to the Juilliard School later. And can you just remind us what your process has been in terms of your path of uh, how you came to be the incredible violinist you are? <laughs> uh, well... Uh, my path. Uh, yes, I was in Israel until I was 18 years old. I started, you know, if we go way, way back, my first steps on the violin were in the Suzuki method, the first three years. So that, that entailed lots of you know, playing in a group with other kids, uh, playing by ear and having a lot of fun. I still think that, you know, that beginning really planted the seed of basically love for music and the joy, joy of making music. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Then I had a few teachers whom I cherish very much in Israel. I went to the Tel Aviv Conservatory of Music and then Jerusalem Academy. Then I came to Juilliard. I studied there in one year at Manhattan School uh, with Sylvia Rosenberg, who is a great, great mentor of mine. Then I went to the Kronberg Academy that's in Germany for two years, but that was really later on. I already had, you know, concerts and, and travels going on and I studied there with Christian Tetzloff and Maurice Fuchs. So that's sort of my trajectory as a student of the violin, but I still am playing for people and learning. In addition to being a solo artist, you're a founding member of the Israeli Chamber Project and also a member of the Lysander Piano Trio. So what's currently happening with those groups? Those groups are, are performing um, uh, with the Israeli Chamber Project will do a, a big tour of the U.S. in, in November, playing in yeah, Philly, D.C., Detroit, New York, many places. And with the trio, we are yeah also very active, 
still performing. Um, somewhat recently, we released also a CD uh, of pieces that we had either commissioned or premiered by somewhat young composers, uh, American composers of different backgrounds. So that was a nice thing to do. Your latest recording takes us around the globe with two different pianists. Can you introduce us to them, please? Yes, I was extremely lucky to have these two relatively nearby me because this recording is really a product of lockdown times. And these pianists both live somewhat near me, at least driving distance. Uh, they live in North Carolina while I live in Georgia. Yeva uh, Yokubavich, she's one pianist. She teaches at Duke University. That's where also we recorded the album. And the other pianist is Kwan Yi, with whom I've recorded before and played a lot with. He teaches at East Carolina University. So, and they were adventurous and maybe friendly enough to learn all this repertoire, which was new for both of them. Was it new for you as well? Nearly all of it. Yeah. It was, although these are composers that I, I've known of, and I knew some of these pieces, but I'm, I haven't had time to work on it. Well, the project evolved during the height of the global pandemic. When you were live streaming concerts at that time, tell me a little bit about that project and how this recording evolved from it. Yes, um, I was looking for something that would use the virtual medium but in a way that that gives something valuable in addition because you know it's it's those live streams that there are no substitutes for live concerts as we've learned but there are some things that one could do with those live streams that are harder harder to do in just a normal live concerts and one of them is to be able to speak to people around the world so uh, i played each time one of these pieces and then i would interview um, an expert uh, from really from everywhere. So say one of the pieces uh, in the album is by Chinese composer Gao Peng. So I would play that and then I would talk to the composer who was in China at the time. And he would tell us more about his music and where he comes from. So that that was just my way of trying to find something meaningful to, to do during that time. And your wife joined you for some of these too, right? Yes. Tell me about her. She's a pianist. She's also a member of my trio. Uh, And she is uh, the reason why we live in Georgia. She is uh, assistant professor of piano at the University of Georgia in Athens. And her name is? Ah, sorry. Her name is Lisa Stepanova. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Why are you calling this project Violin Odyssey? Um, So somehow the, the geographical scope of this music emerged with time, at some point I realized that I've featured quite a few continents, and since this that was a time where I could not travel, it was nice to do the traveling, you know, via music. So I decided to go for something uh, that evokes a journey. So that that's how we came up with that name. How did you select the ten pieces that are featured on this recording? Yes, um, these are all pieces that I sort of are personal favorites of mine by composers whom I think deserve to be uh, heard, then, you know, if people don't like their music, they're fine. But at least I do, and I think, and I wanted to present them in, uh, at least in my way and uh, and, and, and give them a chance. Uh, some have since gotten a little bit more attention. For example, the, the first and last track 
perhaps with a CD. The first is by Grazina Batsevitz. Polish composer who was, uh, she was a virtuoso violinist and a great pianist and um, an excellent composer also of somehow larger scope works. She has seven violin concertos. So her, one of her pieces starts the album. And she has become more popular, I think, in the last couple of years, and the same for William Grant Still. Uh, I'm playing a wonderful piece that's an arrangement from them. Originally, it's a piano piece. It's called Summerland, A Vision of the Afterlife. Bittersweet, uh, but mostly sweet, I think. I wanted to ask you why that piece by William Grant Still, Summerland, was the right way to conclude this recording. We thought about it a lot. Basically, I, I mean, I'm really getting into the like the actual like album making uh, somehow discussions. Um, I think in the end we chose it because. It comes after the piece by Erwin Schulhoff, which is very dramatic. Some of it brutal and tragic, and, and we thought that after this, something like this, which is really to the hearts, is appropriate. And also, you know, this is a vision of the afterlife. There isn't much further one could go on a journey. <laughs> yeah. Schulhoff's second sonata for violin and piano is one of the larger works that creates the framework for this recording. Tell me a little bit more about this composer and the unique Eastern European flavor that comes through in this work, which is a little more jazz and improv. That's right. He, this is, I wouldn't say I, I did not discover this composer, but the more, you know, the pandemic really gave me time to look into some of these composers more, more in depth. And the more I, I hear of his music, uh, the, the more I love it. He has pieces such as, the, let's say, five pieces for string quartet, the second piano concerto, the string sextet. I mean, th these are all really worthwhile knowing. He was a very eclectic composer, which did not help him, probably, alongside other things. Um, and his Early works, he's really in sort of post-romantic, very, very lush sort of sounds. Then he went into Dadaism, pieces that are completely absurd. He, uh, a few decades before John Cage, he wrote a piece that's completely silent. He called it the Infoturum, I guess, in the, in the future. And then um, the score, if you, if you look at it, it's very funny. It has sort of illogical meters, smiley faces. Um, it's very fun to, to look at. He has a piece called Sonata Erotica. Um, so he went really all over the place. 
Then in the 20s, that's where the, when he wrote the second sonata, uh, he was really interested in jazz and folk music. And you hear both of these elements in this piece. Then later on, he became really involved with socialism and he wrote music for the Communist Manifesto and but then, in the Second World War, he perished in the camps, and his music was banned. So then he, he was somewhat left in somewhat anonymity. His music is more and more played. I think it's definitely worthwhile checking out. The other large work that helps to create the framework for this recording is by a Croatian composer, a Slavonic sonata. Yes, her name is Dora Pejacevic, and, and in Croatia, she is actually quite well known, and they, they call her Dora. She is somewhat of a hero because of her music, and, you know, I, I think her symphony in F-sharp minor was the first sort of major Croatian sort of symphonic work to be performed, I think, in Germany or something like this. And, and also, as she volunteered as nurse during the First World War, while she was, in fact, um, born to a noble family, she was really a, a part of her people, so she became a, somewhat of a hero there. And her music I got to know through this wonderful series in New York called Jupiter Symphony Chamber Players. They Actually, they, they always focus on lesser-known repertoire. Um, and I heard a trio by her uh, for violin, piano, and cello, which I thought was wonderful. Then I checked what she has for violin, and she has two sonatas and a few beautiful short pieces. And I chose this one because I, I think it's both somehow it captures the listener from the start. It's very uh, dramatic and it's, it's in B-flat minor, very, very key. It's quite, quite um, a unique piece. And uh, I think, oh, again, very worthwhile getting to know. It's a sort of in a very late romantic style. Slavonic, you know, flavor. So I, I, I like to say that it's a little bit, if Dvořák had lived for another 10, 20 years, it, it would have sounded a little bit like this. Of course, a little different, but if I could describe it, that's how I would. Your journey on this recording starts at home with a work by your father, Moshe Zorman, and it's a piece called Wandering. How does this piece set the scene for the rest of the recording? Yes, I thought, you know, every journey starts from home, so it was appropriate to uh, <laughs> to play something by my father, especially that I have something, some bit of, of an influence on it. It was originally a piece for flute, but he made, uh, made it into violin and piano piece, I guess, because of me. 
so that I could play it. And of course, Wanderings and Journey, uh, it really fits the sort of the theme yeah, of this album very well. And I just heard from him that it, uh, he took the title from, um, I think, a collection of short stories by Hermann Hesse. It's a book, Wanderings. So that's what inspired him. chance to spend a lot of time with your daughter during the pandemic. And I'm wondering, was that time with her what helped you explore The Children's Suite by Joseph Akron? I think uh, it definitely gave me a push to to learn it. I've loved the piece um, for a long time now. I'm a fan of Akron's music. And it, it is originally, there are two versions. There's a piano version and there's a version that I knew for for a sextet, so that's a string quartet, clarinet and piano. And I was familiar with that one, I said it was absolutely lovely. And I knew that there was an arrangement by Yasha Heifetz, who was a classmate of Akron uh, with uh, Leopold Auer, back in St. Petersburg, uh, Akron was also a great violinist. And uh, Heifetz made this arrangement of, of Akron's piece. So I was looking actually into pieces inspired by childhood that have something to do with childhood and this one was just a personal favorite. It's interesting in, in a way because each of the little, these are really miniatures, um, each one inspired by a scene from childhood, there are birdies. Spinning top. And they are all the, the little motives that, that make each one of these miniatures uh, are coming from cantillation. That's the sort of the traditional cantorial singing in Judaism. So I found that quite fascinating how this topic, you know, um, which is a uh, somehow has a long interesting tradition, seems somewhat remote to a scene where, you know, you hear birdies outside the, wi the window or a piece about the puppy that falls asleep. But uh, somehow it finds its way into this music. He does such a wonderful job of creating those visual images of the titles. And the first title is one I don't think I've ever seen in classical music. It's called Jumping with Tongue Out. Yes, and it really sounds like it, as, as you say, because well, it's wonderfully evocative. How old is your daughter? She She's right now four, so during those times she was two, and, um, well, I guess it's still perfect for her. <laughs> yeah, she got to jump with her tongue out while you were playing that, I'm sure. <laughs> that's right. Oh, let's see, there's a couple of more I wanted to ask you about. One is a piece by a Sudanese-Egyptian composer who also was kind of a self-taught rock guitarist and a drummer. And this is all on your classical recording. <laughs> Tell me right. about this composer and the piece that, that you featured. Yes, Ali Osman, 
quite a, a life story he has. Uh, as you mentioned, coming originally from rock, then I think he went to Cairo to study music. Then he was the, the, the conducting um, an orchestra of blind women. Really, uh, uh, quite, uh, yeah, quite an amazing figure. And this piece I heard a few years ago, and I thought, I just thought, this piece has so much humor. And, you know, you, you hear music with, with humor, but it's not so common. You know, and there are some very serious <laughs> uh, pieces on this album. We mentioned the, the Piatrovic and uh, also the, the Schulhoff, very serious pieces. And this one is, is just a wonderful contrast in, in mood. And also, as you said, he, he has an affinity for rock music and drums, electric guitar. And you find those sonorities in this piece too. The violin in, in some part is actually meant to sound a little bit like an electric guitar. tambourine part which in live performances I, I play myself like I use a foot tambourine uh, but for the recording we had the wonderful Julia Thompson who is also on the faculty at Duke um, play the, the percussion but the tambourine part. There's a composer from New Zealand Gareth Fall and his piece of music was inspired by an old Maori folk tale about a the beating heart of a monster, longing for its true love. Tell me about this piece and the unusual rhythms that he also incorporates into this work. He is, uh, we spoke a little bit about Eastman. He was an Eastman grad, but he now lives in New Zealand. He's back home. And he is a percussionist, and he's a member of a Balinese gamelan music uh, ensemble and the rhythms come from that I, I can sing it's very exciting it's, it's actually in a way it's a showpiece he wrote it for a violin competition the Michael Hill International Competition in, in New Zealand but um, the way it both uses this influence for, of Indonesian music and the way it uh, it relates to that folk tale about the, a Lake Wakatipu, the piece called Wakatipu, which is a lake in New Zealand where the tide, according to that legend, is, is related to the, the heart of a monster that lives within. And you can really hear those tides rising and falling. So. Over the past year or so, as you were putting this project together, I wonder what you might have discovered about yourself, maybe something that surprised you. Oh, about myself? That's an interesting question. I mean, it sort of, um, it sort of affirms that this is something that I am constantly interested in, expanding the repertoire in different directions, looking at different cultures, and also how much I am actually interested in collaborating on a local level. These two pianists were, you know, relatively nearby, you know, driving distance. Also during the pandemic, I did a series of concerts outdoors for the community, um, sponsored by a, just a local arts 
council. So this is what I maybe discovered about myself is that uh, how much I am actually interested in, in that aspect, the more local um, form of music making and how it fits in, in the community. So this is something that I would like to explore further. Why is it important to you to expand the violin repertoire? I mean, there's a lot of music already written for the instrument. I'm just, this is something that I'm, I'm interested in. In a concert, often, if I hear something new that I haven't heard before, it will get me particularly, and, and, I, and I like it, it will get me really particularly excited. And it's like, let's say you discover an interesting author that you haven't known before, and you're like, wow, okay, this is cool. And then you discover that... Uh, they have, you know, 20 other books. So, okay, this is a nice way to spend one's time. Um, I'm looking forward to that. So it's a little bit, I think, this this feeling. And also, I do find that the expansion like, of classical music, especially to collaborating with other cultures, it's, it's a very good thing for the profession. Like, looking for new inspirations for modern music. I'm sure, you know, some, some new masterpieces will come from, from that. I mean, if you look, really the trajectory over the last couple hundred years is really expanding, expanding where it's coming from. Um, so I think that's maybe a part of that too. journey through some rarely heard works with violinist Itamar Zorman. It's his new recording, Violin Odyssey. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. 